Moreover, I saw under the sun that in the place of justice, even there was wickedness. In the place of righteousness, even there was wickedness. I said in my heart, God will judge the righteous and the wicked. For there is a time for every matter and for every work. I said in my heart with regard to the children of man that God is testing them, that they may see that they themselves are but beasts. For what happens to the children of man and what happens to the beasts is the same. As one dies, so dies the other. They all have the same breath. And man has no advantage over the beast, for all, his vani- for all is vanity. All go to one place. All are from the dust, and to dust all return. Who knows whether the spirit of man goes upward and the spirit of the beast goes down into the earth. So I saw that there is nothing better than that a man should rejoice in his work, for that is his lot. Who can bring him to see what will be after him. Let's give thanks to the Lord for His Word. Ask His help as we consider it together. Lord God, we are grateful that You would lisp to us, that You would condescend to us through Your Word. Language that can be heard, that can be understood. And we can read it, Lord, but we need Your help and the work of Your Spirit to illumine our hearts. Illumine this Word upon our hearts that we might know You more, that we might understand You more, that we might worship You more. Lord, we're grateful for each moment in this breath of life that You've given to us. Lord, we thank You that You are present with us in these very moments as we consider this Word. Help us now, we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. After the fall of the apartheid in South Africa, In the early 90s, you may remember, apartheid is where there is sort of legal segregation, political and economic uh, segregation between white Europeans and non-white Europeans. And there was very much a status in the land. Well, when that fell, there was a commission put together called the Truth and Reconciliation Commission that was headed by uh, Archbishop Desmond Tutu was his name. And uh, this apartheid led to great violence. Uh, Many of the leaders have been apprehended, many have been put in prison, and so it was up to this commission to decide how to treat them. It's fascinating the way that they approached justice, because their desire was really was to find a middle road between two extremes. One extreme of justice being, you know, bring them all before a war tribunal and condemn them all. And then the opposite Aside, the other extreme is we'll just pardon all of those who were part of that leadership during that apartheid. You know, you, you go your, your way, we'll go our way, and, and life goes on. Um, but this, this commission tried to do something different. Um, and what they wanted to do was grant amnesty uh, to those who, who were part of this corrupt leadership, but they would require full disclosure of why they wanted amnesty. What crime they had committed. And here's what uh, Archbishop Tutu said his goal was. The central concern is the healing of breaches, the restoration of broken relationships, seeking to rehabilitate both the victim and the perpetrator, who should be given the opportunity to be reintegrated into the community he or she has injured by their offense. That sounds pretty good, doesn't it? Um, not typically how we think of justice in, in the Western world and how we carry it out. We think of justice and 
you know, retribution pretty well the same way. Someone breaks the law, then you hand down the sentence. Unfortunately, that has the result of pitting the, the justice system and those who break the law against each other. It's very adversarial by nature. Um, but restorative justice, what this commission was hoping to accomplish, focuses on restoring relationships, the needs of both the victim and the perpetrator. I think that sounds great. It sounds right. And in a desirable way to administer justice. I think we can learn a lot um, from that type of justice. But we've just heard from this preacher in Ecclesiastes is that even, even our best attempts at justice, they're going to be frustrated. They're going to be humbled. Even if we try to go about a restorative justice like I've just described and what this commission tried to put in place, there is wickedness bound up in our hearts and the hearts of all men. O oh God, how long will the wicked exalt? O oh God, defend your cause. Remember how the foolish scoff at you all the day. That's the lament of the psalmist. And so whether we are in the church or out of the church, we'll never get justice completely right. But there is one who does. The Creator God judges justly. So I want us to keep following the wise teacher here in this lesson he gives us. He shows that we're all accountable to God and all are tested by God in this life. Accountable to God and tested by Him. It's really interesting how children, even at a very uh, young age, have this sense of justice. You know, the slightest disparity, right? The slightest incongruity between children and what do they cry out well that's not fair right you know what i'm talking about you know johnny got more screen time than i did or susie got more dessert on her spoon than i did Um, jimmy got to to go and i didn't okay so this concept of fairness you know comes out and yet even as children grow into adults and we look at our adult selves um, we have this uncanny ability to, to bend our ideas of fairness and justice in our favor. Do we not? So Susie says, well, I get a little more dessert because I ate more vegetables. See how she justifies that? Or Jimmy says, I, I got to go with Dad you know, to the store because, well, you went with Mom you know, last week. We can, we can manipulate this sense of, of justice. It sort of flexes around um, what we desire the most and really can be a, a tool for getting what it is we want. When you think about you know, some of the most um, you know, just heinous crimes over the last century, you know, crimes that have you know, names like Stalin and Hitler and Mao Zedong attached to them, These have all been committed under this cry for justice. I mean, we're watching this unfold in our land today. Okay, what crimes are being committed? What lawlessness prevails under a cry for justice? Now, here Paul's saying in Romans chapter 7 when I want to do right, evil is right there with me. We could just as easily say where we expect justice, wickedness is right there with it. 
Lady Justice, you can picture her maybe in your mind, Lady Justice is not as blindfolded as we'd like to believe. Um, I mean, even this land, one, one will get about as much justice as one can afford in our land. It's true. Um, and so there's little recourse, or at least very slow recourse, um, when there is one in a position of power and leadership, and they have the means to keep that position. Um, this was the experience of our Lord Jesus. Okay, Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate in that place of expected justice. And what do we hear and see? We hear false accusations. We see false witnesses. So injustice and wickedness in the hearts and the courts of men um, eventually drive those spikes into the flesh of the Savior. Uh, which is wrong. It frustrates us. Just hearing this should frustrate us. Okay, we long for justice. So even that, that very longing, you know, whether it's in the heart of a child, whether it's in our own hearts, heart of the aged, that should break down pride. It should break down arrogance and really humble us before the Lord. Injustice we see should move us with a greater fear of God. The one who is all justice. The one who who's perfectly right in his every judgment. So where there's, there's injustice in the courts of men, there is only perfect justice in the courts of heaven. God will judge all people everywhere. It's in verse 17. It's a certainty. There is nothing, no word, no, no deed, no thought that's going to escape His court. So what you and I think we might be getting away with down to the, the smallest, most minute things. We're not getting away with at all. Okay? No one is. There will be justice. Every matter, every work is laid before God and accountable to Him. Um, really should reinforce for us how every little thing matters under the sun. Okay? Even though things come and go so quickly. Okay? And I think this should be a great terror for those who think they can play around with and manipulate justice. They feel like the, the gavel has come down once and for all. It hasn't. It has not. All are answerable to God. Every person will stand before the seat of judgment, whether they think they will or not, whether they are prepared for this or not. And it happens with absolute impartiality. Colossians 3 reminds us, whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord, not for men, knowing that from the Lord you'll receive the inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ. For the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done. And there is no partiality. And I think we tend to soft pedal this as a church. Church universal. Maybe even pedal around it because it's hard to hear. It's even harder to say. Because we can hit this impression either for ourselves or for those that we love or for our neighbors who are really good people that the judge of all the earth will somehow get soft or will somehow you know, offer free passes when that time of justice comes. Um, certainly believed by those who, who consider themselves God, or that God is made in the image of man and He would somehow respond with the justice that we'd like to think we would. The problem is that our wickedness is right there, mixed in. Okay, we don't see our sin. I mean, the very sense of justice that we have as human beings is because we are made in the image of God. 
who does see our sin. And in His holiness, He must pass judgment. Vengeance is the Lord's. He will repay. And so His excruciating agony of judgment is all that is in store for the wicked who have not lived in the fear of God. Who have not submitted their lives completely by faith in Jesus Christ. We will stand before the judge, robed in the righteousness of Jesus, and hear, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into your rest, into your eternal reward. We will hear that, or we will be exposed. All our sin laid before the judge. We'll say, depart from me. And that's when the pain only begins. Those are the only two possibilities, okay, for every human being who has ever lived. And there are a lot, a lot more who are going to hear the latter. So I, I say maybe this encourages us just to pray a little harder. Uh, maybe it encourages us to, to share the hope that we have in Jesus with a little more boldness, with a little more urgency in these lives that we've been given. They're just, they're gone. But for those living in the fear of God, okay, for those who long for the courts of heaven, uh, this, this word is a comfort, it is an assurance. It's an encouragement to us, really, to pursue justice now. To pursue justice in that right frame of, of reference, that right plane. Because we know that justice will never be completely found now. And so it allows us to pursue justice without despair. We can pursue justice while we're waiting patiently for it. We can pursue justice with ears more eager to hear than words that need to be heard. We can pursue justice while leaving the vengeance to God. We live in the fear of Him. Assurance of His perfect judgment. So we're accountable to God and we're all tested by God. There in verse 18... The meaning of of tested here really is along the lines of purifying, refining, cleaning away any illusions we may have about this life. Any illusion we may have that God is made in our image. Because no, our, our bodies die like all other creatures. That's it. It connects this section very loosely to verse two, a time to be born and a time to die. This breath of life is something that we share with all the other creatures. As the breath of life leaves the animal, they die. And so in God's appointed time, um, that breath leaves us. And we die. Clear allusion here, back to Genesis chapter 3, where it says we return to the dust by which God originally made us. And so that the preacher here isn't commenting on the eternal state of our souls, the eternal destination of human beings or for animals. You know, do all dogs go to heaven? Okay, we don't know. We do not know. Will there be dogs in heaven? We don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us. I'd like to, I think we can be pretty confident there will be based on what we know about God and His, cre- and His creation, what He cares about. Um, but we don't know. It's not the discussion the preacher is having here. Okay? He's not denying the resurrection or life to come. But when it comes to the vanity of our lives, what is temporal, that's what applies across the board. It comes and goes. We return to the dusk. And so we can ask that rhetorical question that he's asking in verse 21. 
But we just we don't know from our human observation. We can't see where the Spirit goes. God knows. God sees what we cannot. And one commentator, based on this, he said, you know, where the Spirit goes, the condition of the Spirit, it is a matter of revelation and not observation. I thought that captured it well. This is a matter of revelation, not observation. Okay? And what has been revealed is that there is a resurrection of the body. That there is life after death. Life of the body. And we're, we, we understand this from the Old Testament, though we're not given many details uh, in the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, we have a, a much fuller, richer description. Okay? We learn by the illumination of the Holy Spirit that Christ has risen. That Jesus has defeated death. He claimed victory over the grave. And because the tomb could not hold Him, it will not hold us. Those who belong to Him. United to Him in life and in death. So church family, I want you to hear again the empathy that Jesus has with our experience. He knows that where justice should be, there is injustice and wickedness. He's experienced that. He knows the frustration and uncertainty that comes with a new job or it comes with moving into a new home or a new relationship or broken down relationship. Okay? The, the fear and uncertainty of life in a post-COVID world, whatever that may look like, in a post-U.S. election world. Okay? So hear the righteous judge come to your side and remind you that you are not alone, that you are not abandoned. The tears that you cry, He cries. The death that you will die, He has died before you. To remove the sting of death once and for all. That is Christ our King. Okay, the one who has conquered all His and our enemies. And Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Um, just a beautiful promise I held out to my family uh, in this last week. Um, so we laid my, my grandfather's body in the ground to rest, to wait. He's joined. Our God is a God of the living. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those men were in the ground a very long time before the Lord said those words. Which means He's a God of the living. My grandfather is very much alive in the presence of the Lord. But his body waits until all the graves will be emptied at the voice of the King when He returns. So it's important we remember you know, that our bodies are, are very complex, yet so very frail. Our bodies are limited. Limited, yet very capable of serving God now. They should be used as, as instruments to that end, even in the brevity of life. I think, I think if we're honest, for myself, you know, we typically think and live like life is just going to keep going and going and going. It never really end. And we can believe that to be absent with a body is to be present with the Lord. And we can believe that the soul is immortal, but then forget that our service to God is here and now. It's a very bodily experience. So we're not going to, to make up for lost service or lost time in service to God or things that we fail to do in the body. So we care for our bodies. We care for what we put on our bodies, what we put in our bodies but recognize that it returns to the dust. Our life breath returns to the author of life, the Creator Himself. Um, 
the lifespan of our bodies appointed by God. Um, so let's, let, let's look to Him. Let's, let's love Him and make much of Him in these few days that have been appointed um, by Him. How do we do that? What does that look like? And that's where you know, the preacher reminds us in this last verse. Um, now the third time that we've heard this won't, won't be the last time and how important it is to, to delight in our work, to rejoice in the work that we've been given. Uh, finding joy in what's been apportioned by God uh, for the day. And church family, that's today. That's right now. Rejoice in the Lord always. And these moments appointed to us, you say, Brad, that's great. I believe that, but you know, that's much easier said than done. And I get it. Ain't that the truth? We're frustrated at every turn. We're disappointed every... Every season, every vocation has its weeds, right? I want to give you just a couple of thoughts. What really needs to be true if you are to rejoice in your work, if we are to rejoice in our toil as creatures of dust? Um, The first thing is we need to do our work, whatever it is, we need to do it well. We need to put forth our best efforts in what it is we do, our most faithful effort. So then we can look back on it. We look back, you know, yesterday or a week ago or a month ago. We don't have to be ashamed. We don't have to be embarrassed by the efforts that we put in because we're not going to take joy in what we know we haven't done well. We know we've been faithful. When we've done our best in whatever context that may be, that's the, that's the soil for joy. And another thing uh, to think about is to really, really take a, a good assessment. You, you may have to do this over and over again. It, it will do this as the seasons change, but a good assessment of what it is you like to do, what it is you're good at, what it is you're passionate about. Maybe there's something that comes much easier for you now than it has in the past. And then. You know, pursuing that, and when we when we pursue those things that are are suited to us, and those things that we're also capable of doing. Um, I was just thinking of, of one example. It's kind of a silly example, but I can, you know, I can desire to be a farmer, and take great joy in farming, and I can learn a lot about farming, and grow in my ability as a farmer. But I I don't have a farm. <laughs> I didn't grow up on a farm like some of you did. I don't even have a garden. And anything that I try to grow, I usually kill prematurely. So it may not be wise, and I may find, it may be hard for me to find great joy in pursuing farming at this stage of life. I'm, I'm better enjoying the fruits of the labors of those who know what they're doing in such a, a way. Um, Frederick Buechner, who's one of the great theologians, writers of the last century, he said this, The place God calls you to is the place where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. Where your deep gladness and the world's deep hunger meet. What others need, what this world needs, and what you are capable and passionate to provide, that that is the direction you want to go in the pursuit of joy. And that that may change seasons of life as they come and go. But keep asking those questions. Our work's been apportioned out, appointed by God. Um, so we can't see where the Spirit goes. We, we don't 
know who or what is going to come after us. And a commentator said, we're not to spend our time rehearsing what we don't know, but remaining faithful in what we do. And what do we know from this passage? That God knows that we can trust Him to do what is good, to do what is right and just. And all things, all things have been appointed by Him. All times, all seasons, and all people are accountable to God. So we can find purpose, we can find joy in the everyday things because God holds our everyday. His grace enables us to enjoy our portion. His grace enables us to live in the fear of Him.